about it, but I think the simplest way for me to uh, structure a talk like this is just uh, tell you why am I here. Uh, there's two reasons why I'm here. One reason is uh, back in uh, last October, uh, the North Carolina uh, Physicians Health and Effectiveness Program uh, had a conference uh, in uh, Pine Ridge, North Carolina, along with the North Carolina Caring Dental Committee. And at that meeting, I met Terry Alley, and uh, at a time uh, kind of caught me off guard. We were talking about the IDAA, and I told him how much I've enjoyed the IDAA for the past, since 1999, which was my first one. And he said, are you going to Mobile? And I said, I wouldn't miss it. And he said, well, good, would you speak? And I said, you sure I will. Uh, so I thought he might forget about that, but back in February, I got a call Sunday night, and he said, uh, this is Terry. I said, okay, I'll do it. So now, why am I here on uh, August the 16th, 2003, telling uh, you folks that I'm an alcoholic and I've uh, been sober for a little while, and, and how do I stay sober? Uh, I'm going to make a quick story. Uh, I was born in Evansville, Indiana uh, a few years ago to a great family, oldest of four children. My father was the oldest of seven children. Uh, they were hardworking German folks. Uh, most were farmers, uh, self-reliant, and most importantly, very hard-headed. And I think I uh, inherited that trait, those traits. Uh, I was not exposed to any. I had no alcoholic role models growing up. Uh, no one in the family, no one in the extended family, no one in the neighborhoods. Uh, drank uh, to the to the point where I felt uh, or I could recognize that there was a problem with alcohol. Uh, when I was five years old, we moved out in the country, and so I spent the mo a good bit of my time growing up out uh, working with farm animals, gardening, uh, and just being outside. And with that, I, I did learn a great appreciation of nature, and today that's a real important part of my recovery is is being outside with with things that grow uh because that's real important for my spiritual uh continued spiritual growth uh my first recollection uh, of alcohol i really can't remember any significant things uh grade school i think i had a sip of cream de mint one time at, at, a, at a friend's house and it just like cough syrup uh high school uh i did drink a little bit more, uh, but it never did get me in trouble. Uh, one one thing I do remember uh, in high school is my high school homeroom teacher uh, used to have a lot of us kids over, and uh, we would drink at his apartment or his house, really. And I didn't think anything of that, but looking back, uh, I believe he was probably an alcoholic. He died at a pretty young age, uh, long after I'd left the state. Uh, got through high school without any problem, no consequences of any uh, drinking. I do remember the first time I ever had a hangover was uh, New Year's Day of my senior year in high school. Uh, we had a party and everybody brought something. We poured it in a big uh, thing and, and, and drank it. And, of course, I drank it and got sick and, and had a pretty bad hangover the next day. And, of course, my father asked me the next day, he said, I heard some folks were drinking. And so I, I did really 
that's the first real big lie I can remember telling about my drinking. Uh, the first of many lies I would tell about my drinking. Uh, and he just frowned on that and, uh, we, we'd let it pass. I was, I had to work real hard in, in, uh, high school, uh, to, to make good grades. I wanted to go to college. I, I did go to college. I went to Indiana University. And I, I had no idea what I wanted to be or what I wanted to study, but my father's a dentist. And so I thought, well, I'll try, I'll try a pre-dental. Uh, and so I worked really hard uh, to uh, to make the grades necessary for me to go to dental school. And I was afraid to uh, get into anything, uh, although I did begin to reward myself on the weekends after I've done my studies, after I've done all the required things. I could kick back and have maybe a six-pack. And back then, a six-pack was, was all I needed for the weekend uh, just to feel a, a little bit better. I never did experience the the uh, sense of real well-being and ease like I did later on uh, when I was in college. Had I been one of these folks that uh, bingo uh, drank alcoholically from day one, I wouldn't be standing here. It took a lot of years for me to uh, cross over. Uh, got into dental school, and here again, I had to work hard. It was tough. I went in after three years of undergrad, and uh, there were a hundred of us, and I think ended up being maybe uh, ninety of us uh, graduated. One uh, one died by suicide, and that was a, a result after a night of drinking. It was my uh, junior year in uh, college, a fellow from my hometown. Uh, that was the first uh, brush with a suicide connected with alcohol that I could ever remember. Didn't drink much during the week when I was in, in dental school, but on the weekends, of course, I would uh, uh, relax after I've done what I needed to do. Uh, I got a job along with some of the other dental students working at a hotel similar to this one. It wasn't as nice as this one. It wasn't as big, but uh, we were all uh, bartenders for private parties. That was a lot of fun because we could work uh, after classes uh, a couple of nights a week, maybe one evening a weekend for a couple of hours, ten bar for private parties, uh, and sample anything we could uh, get away with. We weren't supposed to drink on the job, but we did. Uh, after... Uh, I got married, let's see, in 19, uh, I was a sophomore in dental school, got married, and for the first time, and we graduated from dental school, and I came down to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina as a resident at, uh, in dental, in general dentistry, uh, spent a year there, and I, another significant thing I remember about that residency is, is they, most of them liked to party a lot. And two of those folks uh, that were in my, uh, that were there when I was a resident are in my local Caduceus now. Uh, so not all of us escaped uh, without catching the, the disease. Uh, but one of the things I remember is on Wednesday afternoon, uh, the, the hospital would have a keg on the front lawn for the residents and interns. And I cannot believe <laughs> that they did that because now that nowadays that that wouldn't fly at all. But but the hospital uh, let us uh, party on the front lawn, volleyball, uh, softball, and a keg. Uh, 
alcohol still I still had no consequences for any of my any of my drinking. I was just I would say starting to abuse it. Uh, no one I was doing what everyone else was doing. I tried uh, I'd never tried any medications uh, uh, to to make me feel different at this time. Uh, after the residency, I set up general practice and. Uh, by this time, um, I didn't have to worry about studying because, you know, I'm out of school. Uh, so if I get through the week, well, then I can, I can reward myself. So that's what it was essentially, uh, work hard during the week, week, reward yourself on the weekend. Uh, one of my first, uh, well, my first recollection, recollection of a lot of drinking, uh, was, uh, July 1972 is the first time I went to a North Carolina beach for a week. Seven couples went. They were all hard drinking. It was the first time I drank uh, essentially uh, every day uh, for a whole week. Uh, I would just try to temper myself so I wouldn't get too messed up. Uh, but still, I didn't consider myself an alcoholic at that time. I was still working on it. From that point on, I considered the, my week at the beach as just another weekend. And from 1972 until 1994, uh, my weeks at the beach were, many of them were in a blackout. Because somewhere in the mid-70s, uh, I crossed over the line. I got, I really started drinking purely to get the effect of, of alcohol. Uh, it, it always, it has always worked for me except in very few occasions. Um, I tried samples. You know, the, the drug reps would leave samples. Uh, they just usually made me sick. Uh, so I didn't, uh, I didn't, maybe I didn't do it right, but I didn't get, uh, uh, pills didn't do anything for me. I tried a little pot. I did not like the way it made me feel uh, most of the time. So I didn't drink, I didn't smoke pot. Uh, but alcohol, it seemed like I could always predict how it was going to make me feel. I never did get into any trouble, significant trouble, uh, with the, the law, the state board, yet. Uh, of course, I had trouble with my family. They did not like it that Dad was acting crazy at the beach. Dad was acting crazy on weekends. Um <laughs> And so I was, you know, getting a lot of heat there. Also, uh, one of these beach trips in 1986, uh, my sister and her husband, she's a nurse, and my, her husband's at that time was an in internal medicine, had their four kids at the beach with us. And the day before we were going to go home, uh, they all sat me down and had a little talk and said they noticed the way I'd been drinking. And by this time, I was taking uh, Valium because it would make me feel better coming off alcohol. I would find that uh, if I took a Valium on a Sunday night, I wouldn't feel quite as bad on a Monday morning. And prior, the months leading up to that, it seemed like every every Monday morning I'd be driving to work and it, the, the little tape would go through my head. Uh, if you don't quit doing this, you're going to kill yourself. If you don't quit doing this, you're going to kill yourself. And uh, before I went to the beach that time, uh, 
I thought I better not take these Valium because I I might overshoot the mark with those. I definitely will overshoot with alcohol. But I took them, and so I was confronted. Uh, that got me a trip to the Charlotte Treatment Center. In uh, I went in August the uh, 29th of 1986. I stayed there six weeks inpatient, and I did after that uh, 12 weeks of outpa- uh, 12 weeks of aftercare. I learned a lot at the Charlotte Treatment Center. I learned a lot about the disease of alcoholism. Uh, I'm going to back up a little bit uh, about my first introduction to AA. Somewhere in the mid-80s, the early 80s, uh, I'd been seeing a therapist, and he mentioned that uh, I might have a problem with alcohol. And I said, yeah, I might have a problem. I I think I'll... He said, why don't you try AA? And said, I said, okay, I will. I tried it. I hung around it. I was never in it. I would go to a meeting every one or two weeks. Uh, I would come late. I did pick up one white chip when I first started going, but uh, I never did pick up any more after that. Of course, I, I never did stay dry for any length of time in all that period of time. Uh, I did, going back to the first treatment in the Charlotte Treatment Center, I spent... Uh, like six weeks inpatient, 12 weeks out. Somewhere along the, about the eighth month after I'd entered treatment, uh, I was starting to feel pretty good. I thought I, uh, was doing okay. Uh, it was a nice spring or summer day and I was by myself and I just had the sudden urge, let's, let's have a drink. And so I did. And that started the ball rolling again. Uh, and I, it, by this time, I was really working hard to try to, after that, really worked hard to try to hide it. And so I, I developed all the creative ways that we know how to, to, to hide our liquor and, and to hide it from our families and, and to not let it affect, um, our work. I, I would carefully, uh, Try not to drink until Friday afternoon when I got off work. Uh, I would, uh, many, 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 uh, weeks, I would, uh, get off work at two o'clock, go by the liquor store, buy three pints of liquor, go to a 7-Eleven store, get a, s- a Sprite or something and pour about a half a pint in a cup, chug that, and then go pick up my daughter and some of her friends from school. Did that many, many, many uh, months. Fortunately, it didn't involve it, didn't have any accidents. Nobody got hurt. I would try to structure uh, my going out of town, go to dental meetings out of town, uh, continuing education courses, with the main purpose is I'm going to get away by myself so that I can drink. And I'd go to, I'd get in the car on a Friday afternoon to go to one of these things. I'd stop by a liquor store and I would drink my way to Atlanta. I would drink my way to Chapel Hill, drink my way to Greensboro and show up for a few of the meetings, but essentially drinking around the clock, but then trying to look good to the rest of the folks at the meeting uh, by letting them know, you know, I'm okay. The last time that I drank around the clock was March of 1995. I was in Atlanta for a big dental meeting. And, of course, it was one of my favorite ones because it was like a 
uh, a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, go home Sunday. And so that if I was by myself, uh, I could try to get away with drinking uh, during that period of time. Uh, I was also at this period of, at at that time a member of the newly formed caring dental program for the state of North Carolina. We had just started our well-being program for the dental, and and they thought I was doing okay because I was going to meetings. I wasn't honest. I never did pick up chips. Someone asked me uh, what my sobriety date date was. The stock answer was I went to treatment in August of 1986. I wouldn't tell them my sobriety date. I would just say, I went to treatment in 1986, so I didn't pick up chips. I wasn't honest. Um, so I was a member of the, the, the caring dental program at that time. Uh, I was supposed to be uh, helping folks. It was a real small group at that time. I came back from Atlanta, and the word had been passed along to others in that organization that Randy's not doing so well. He's he's drinking. He's drinking a lot. It's getting worse. Um, so I was intervened on by the uh, I guess my spouse, my f- physician, and who's incidentally in this program, uh, and the uh, gentleman who was the head of the caring dental program for the state of North Carolina at that time. I agreed to go to an intensive outpatient. And I did. It was it was another real good program. Uh, it was six weeks, uh, three nights a week, and then uh, I think another twelve weeks, uh, two nights a week after care. I drank twice during that program. Just you know, mainly on times uh, like a Saturday afternoon when I just had the urge. I just wanted to get that feeling again. Uh, didn't get caught. Had to drop, uh, you know, do give urine specimens. Uh, they didn't catch it. Um, after I finished the uh, uh, aftercare, I went to a, uh, an outing in uh, Greensboro with some friends of mine. I drank four beers. Uh, of course, I wasn't supposed to be drinking. Uh, they didn't know that, though. And, of course, I called my wife, and we were talking. And you know how these telephones have the breathalyzers in them, and, <laughs> and they distort your voice sometimes? Well, I had one of those phones. And she, or I guess she did. Somebody got a hold of the uh, my physician, uh, and uh, the rest of the folks, because I'd signed a contract when I went into that uh, aftercare or went into the uh, outpatient. That you know, if I can't stay sober, that I'm going to have to have some more treatment. Uh, that got me a ticket to uh, Dr. Talbot's uh, place in Atlanta. Uh, I was afraid. I was that terrified me that I was going to have to leave. I had no idea how long I was going to be gone. I thought I might be gone maybe six weeks because, after all, I'd had two treatments before. I should know this stuff. It shouldn't take me that long uh, to get it. Uh, well, five and a half months later, uh, I got out. Uh, there was. I enjoyed the treatment. It was painful at times. Uh, Fortunately, I had someone to cover my practice. My wife did a lot to help the practice hold things together. My staff, I didn't lose any staff members because of that. Um, I took my last drink, though, while I was still at, 
in treatment. I was, uh, Dr. Groper and the folks at the Medical College of Georgia had, were trying to devise a, a, a I guess a test for dentists who had been in treatment or who might be impaired by drugs or alcohol. And so they set up kind of a little practical exams and, and written exams down at the Medical College of Georgia. And I, myself and two other fellows were the first ones to ever take this. We were kind of like their guinea pigs to see how it was going to work. I didn't want to do it. I didn't, I wasn't worried about it, whether I could, uh, pass it, uh, but I was ticked off that I still had to do this. But I did realize that, you know, when I go down there, I'm going to be by myself for a little while. And I started thinking about, you know, taking a drink. Uh, I didn't tell anybody about it. Uh, I went, we went down on a Sunday right before, uh, right before uh, a Thanksgiving of uh, 1995. Took two days of examinations, went fine. I rewarded myself after, and I knew after that they allowed me to drive from uh, Augusta to Charlotte for what they call an extended therapeutic leave, which is what you take right before you, when you're getting close to being let let out of treatment. Uh, I drank after I finished that exam. Uh, I was by that time I was. Uh, I didn't drink hard liquor because I really couldn't predict how, you know, how, what hard liquor was going to do for me, but, uh, but wine, uh, wine would give me the effect. And if I was careful, it wouldn't mess me up too bad. So I did have a bottle of wine after that exam. And I got, I got what I wanted. I got the feeling that I hadn't had for about six months. Uh, and along about a uh, hundred miles, uh, out of Augusta, the feeling was starting to go away, and I was filled with just filled with fear uh, because I thought, "Oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I done? Here I go again. Is it ever going to stop?" And so I, you know, I, I cried a good bit on the way back from that point on till I got home. Another thing, I was going home to an, uh, an empty house. Uh, my wife had left. Uh, we were living apart at that time. So I knew that no one was going to be at home and I could possibly get away with, with drinking. Uh, but that drink scared the heck out of me. Uh, I think looking back on it, I think that was a, a necessary drink for me. Uh, by the grace of God, that was my last drink and it was on, uh, November the 21st, 1995, which also is the same, uh, date the first two, uh, the month and the, and the day are the same as in my uh, wedding ring. My anniversary is November the 21st. Uh, so I have two, two things to celebrate, uh, on that day. I went back to Talbot after that. I didn't tell anybody about this drink, uh, and, uh, but I was terrified. I didn't talk about it. I went back to, to treatment, uh, Shortly after I got back there, you know, I told everybody I had a good therapeutic leave. Uh, I did what I was supposed to do. I met with some folks. I got things in order. Uh, I had a great, I've always had a great Caduceus group in Charlotte. Uh, told them, uh, you know, maybe I'll be out in a couple of months. Shortly after I got back, uh, I was, my primary therapist said, we're going to go ahead and let you out in a few weeks. And that really scared the heck out of me because I'd known that just two weeks prior to that, I, I took a drink and I was afraid I was going to drink again. 
because I got away with it, and I liked the way it made me feel. That's the only re- reason I drank, uh, and I was afraid I was going to do it again. So at that time, then I started talking about being afraid of drinking. So uh, that helped some. Uh, I Another thing came into my mind that I, I think I'll ask them to put me on antabuse when I when I get out. I didn't have to ask them. They, they said, you're going to be on antabuse when you leave. Uh, so I left on uh, December the 16th. I started the interviews a week before I got out, uh, got out on uh, December the 16th and, and things were, were going okay. I went home still to an empty house. Uh, but, uh, I still saw my daughter and wife, you know, quite a bit. Uh, and I faithfully took the interviews, uh, you know, every day, uh, I was still afraid that I was going to drink. But about two weeks into the deal, and I was going to three, at that time, three meetings a week. Uh, and about two weeks after I'd gotten out, I was standing at the uh, kitchen sink ready to, to take my daily dose of antabuse. And, and it occurred to me that, uh, I haven't really hadn't had the urge to drink and, and the fear was gone. And so that was one of my twelfth step, twelfth promise things that it was a great sigh of relief. It was almost the feeling you get when you get, when I would get a half a, half a pint of vodka in me, that, that sense of ease and comfort. Well, I got that kind of feeling only it was because I hadn't drank and hadn't thought about it. Uh, I quit taking the antabuse that day. I've still got the room, a few of those tablets left and I keep them around from time to time. I'll look at them. Uh, at that point, I, I upped the meetings from three a week to five a week, and there consistently since uh, the, the early part of 1996, five meetings a week. Uh, meetings are really important to me. Uh, they keep me sober. Uh, they keep me alive. Uh, the meetings have saved me. Uh, AA has saved me from uh, alcohol and drugs and also saved me from myself because just being without drugs and alcohol, I need a whole lot more help uh, than just being drug and alcohol free. And you folks have really helped me out. Uh, I continue to do a lot of work with the Caring Dental Program for the state. It's grown. We've got a, a great director, and there are a lot of sick dentists and hygienists in our state, and uh, they're coming for help. So it's taken a, a good bit of my time, but I've that's one of the necessary things that, that I think I need to do to stay sober. Uh, this meeting, the IDAA, is something that the folks at my local Caduceus meeting had always talked about, and I kicked myself for not having come earlier. The first one was in 1999 in Scottsdale. Uh, I never thought I would, you know, up and someday say, oh, I'll go to Scottsdale. Well, because the meeting was there, I went to Scottsdale. It was a great time. And so I've been to every one since then. They've all been great meetings. The most important thing about this meeting and others like it are the people there, the network that I can build to help protect my uh, sobriety. So I look forward to seeing folks every year, seeing the same ones, meeting new ones. Uh, it saddens me when someone uh, passes away due to this disease. I've lost several folks that... Uh, uh, were in treatment with me because of uh, the disease, uh, but I'm also, you know, happy to see folks that uh, do uh, slip from time to time, but get back and keep coming back. I think the only folks that that don't get 
that don't win on this deal are the ones that don't keep coming back. Um, that's just about, in a nutshell, why I'm here. And I hope, by the grace of God, that I'll be here uh, next year. But I'll have a lot of meetings between now and next year to uh, to keep working on my sobriety. So, thank you all. Hi, I'm Art Alcoholic. Thank you very much for that. Uh, he said that earlier this morning, and I, I, that's why I'm here. <clears throat> if I break down a little bit, I hope you'll apologize. Sometimes when I think about some of what happened to me a few years ago, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty rough. But uh, I learned something today and yesterday that uh, has really hit me. And, um, you know, I, I'm a high-bottom drunk in one way, and that is that, you know, I've never been a treatment center, uh, never had a DUI, never had a license in jeopardy. And um, it's been kind of rough over the years. I went to the first IDAA in Vancouver and met a, a lot of docs there, and, you know, I think there was something lurking in the back of me all this time about, you know, you really haven't hit bottom yet because you haven't lost enough. And I was talking to somebody in the program today, and it really kind of gelled for me. And I guess I just wanted to share a bottom thing with you if, you, if you'd be interested. Um I'm from Cheyenne. It's a small place. And, uh, in, uh, 1990 is when I, when I got sober. There was one doctor in the community that, uh, had been sober for a while, but had been ostracized. He had been really a laughing stock of the community. And he was the only doctor that I knew of in the whole world that had a problem with alcohol. Um, I had, and I'm a psychiatrist, so I knew a lot of patients that had alcohol uh, problems, and you know, I had my own set of prejudice against those people. And as as the uh, gates were coming down on my drinking, the main character in this story is really my <laughs> my wife Carol, and. Glad she's not here. <laughs> um, because we've been married 37 years, and um, the background of what happened really on a special dime in 1990 was that um, I've been trying to control this for a couple of years and been unsuccessful. I drank on antabuse, and I could you can drink about a half of one of those little airplane things and not do too bad. <laughs> but if you do a whole one, you're in trouble. <laughs> well, I tried for a while, a couple of years, to control it by all the means, but 
you know, I, I never knew. And the other thing I'll tell you about my story is I'm an alcoholic uh, child. I came from a background where my father died about this disease, um, and everybody from his father down, every male, has been affected by this illness, and it's about 12 or 15 people. But my dad died of drinking, never got sober, and um, I never knew anybody to be sober except this one doctor, maybe, and he was sort of weird and strange, and he was being ostracized, which is really sad. And because I didn't have anything in my childhood to, to hook to, you know, I never had a father, I never had a connection with him, I had no family as a child. I was so lonely as a kid that this wife of mine was pretty pretty important. And uh, I put my energy in this marriage and this uh, relationship with her. And as I was unable to stop drinking, there... There was a time then where I wish I could bottle that look because I can still see the look in her eyes when she was ready to give up. And I don't, I couldn't see myself, but when I saw her willing to give up on me and she was done and she had no Al-Anon, she had no nothing. She was just ready to give up. And that was such a powerful thing that for me, that I was going to lose not only the chance to have a family, but I was going to lose this woman that I really loved and cared about. And it was just a short time after that, the same night, when I, I knew, and there was something different about this look. And, and the same night as I, I wrestled with this, I became honest for the first time in my life. I went into the basement, and I can remember this as if it was yesterday, that I'd been playing with alcohol, and there was a part of me in the deepest part that I was going to drink. You know, I'd try, but the deepest part of me was going to drink. And I can remember going in the basement and getting down on my knees and saying, God, really, there's two choices in this situation. And, you know, as you know, I didn't know anybody else that had been sober. There was no sober people in my life. And I said, the only way I can see this, God, is two ways. If you could show me a different way to live or please let me die. And that was the only time I was really honest with myself in a lot of years. Well, forever. And if somebody had told me, God wants you to kill yourself, I I wouldn't be here today. Because I would have followed any direction there was at that moment to find a different way. And the next day, I call this doctor in, and we we talked to him. I went to my first AA meeting, and then I've done AA ever since. And... You know, sometimes I think to myself, why am I still sober? I don't do relapses, and I go to these crazy places where alcohol may be there, and I don't have trouble with getting through it. 
I was in Peru where you had to toast to the country, you know, and I thought, well, I was going to insult the country if I don't drink their booze, but managed to get through that. So it's helped me yesterday, and particularly Burns Brady, and I'm, I'm thankful for this fellow because I talked to him just three or four hours ago, and he made it gel for me that it's the power of, I guess, giving up. And I'm a deep-bottom burnt drunk. I'm no longer a high-bottom drunk. I thought I was. But I'm one like everybody else. Thanks. I'm Jim. I'm a very grateful alcoholic. You know, after that story, I had to get up. I had a father who had 28 years of sobriety. Genetically, she'll live to be 100. And the day he retired, he started drinking and died three years later. And I hit my bottom when I was already in treatment. I was given my wife's phone number. I'd never met her. And the first night I called her, we talked for two hours on the phone, and I knew she would have married me after the first date. I took about three years getting around to it. But, you know, I remember I was in treatment, and I said to her, we had been silent for two hours. I couldn't talk to her. I said, are you going to leave me? And I asked the question because I knew what her answer would be. Her answer would be, no, I love you. But that's not what she said. She said no and repeated her marriage vows with a real emphasis on the worst. And I think that's why I hit my bottom. You know, I came up here to tell you how grateful I am to IDAA. Went to my first meeting when I was 14 months sober in Lexington, Kentucky, and I've only missed two since then. Uh... You know, this program has done everything for me. For those of you newcomers and struggling, I was absolutely miserable for my first three years. And the only reason I made it was I clung to other people. There's a man by the name of John Milner who wasn't able to make this meeting, but my sponsor has been since I started. And literally my first year, I called him three times a day. Never made it without him. And I still can't believe that this man put up with three phone calls a day. And I had a farmer, Chuck, who was my other sponsor for 10 years. And he would take my phone calls every day. And then there was a therapist at Talbot by the name of Jim Weigel. And to this day, I still call him two or three times a day. And I only stayed sober by the help of this man and a couple of men in this room, especially Ray Armstrong, who has put up with me so much, especially in the beginning. You know, I was totally miserable. And this man sat next to me and talked to me. You know, and the, the program just gets better and better. My first five years, I didn't miss a meeting. I still try to make at least five meetings a week. And, you know, my life has just become better and better. I, You know, I can't tell you how many good things 
go on in my life. And it's all due to this program. And I never forget when I was in Georgia, I had the pleasure of being at Talbot for eight months. I'd gone out, out flown out of, uh, El Central, a little town in California at Phoenix by air ambulance. I was in the hospital five weeks. And then they put me in a treatment center at St. Luke's in Arizona. And I thought I was doing great. And they said to me, you're going to die. But if you want to stay alive, why don't you try going back to Ridgeview for two months? And I went home in February, about eight months later. And I have, I just can't tell you, it's been the people there and everywhere who've helped me. But the main reason I wanted to miss Georgia, there was a sign at the clubhouse I went to all the time, 8111. And to me, that sign says it all. We can do what I can't. I've only stayed sober with the help of others, and I will only stay sober with the help of others and with God. Thank you. If you'll forgive me, i got to tell you one other thing. You know, and this tells you how we evolve in this program. You know, I was told in 1986 I needed a TUR. And I was told 10 years ago that I needed a total knee. And I was told several months ago I had spinal stenosis. And, you know, I was always too scared to have those operations. I remember when I got to Talbot, for the first three nights, I wouldn't go to bed. I sat in front of the nurse's station so they could resuscitate me and see me when I had that cardiac arrest. Well, you know, it's only been in the last few months I realized, you know, if you need something and if you've picked out good people to do it, it's all in God's hands. We don't have to fear. Okay. And it's strange. I never had these operations I should have had because of fear. I'm going back this year and I'm going to have them all. And I am not. <laughs> I'm going to remake this old body so it can stay in practice another 20 years. But you know, I can only do that because the trust in God that this program has given me. You know, we talk about the third step. And we think we know it. And I'm just beginning to realize at 17 years what that third step means. And I'm just beginning to take it and mean it. But again, the newcomers, stay with it with the help of others. I literally was miserable for three years in my pro- program. Thanks. I'm Dick, alcoholic. Uh, hearing uh, the relapse story and then hearing another story of recovery, uh, it reminded me that in uh, before I got sober, I intuitively knew what the hell was going to happen to me if I got sober. I was afraid to death to get sober. I knew that I would be ostracized in my family and that uh, my world would be turned upside down, and it frightened me because that was the only life I knew. When I came to the point of making that decision that I was worth something, and I, I don't believe I thought very much of myself at all then, but it was a choice of either getting sober or dying, because uh, that was a promise I made. And uh, through one of God's miracles, I was locked up before I killed myself. And this, the therapist I had told me he could help me with my emotional problems, but if I wanted to get sober and stay sober, 
go to Alcoholics Anonymous for the rest of my life. And I respected that man's opinion, so I started going. And what I have found in Alcoholics Anonymous is a dream come true. Everything I ever wanted out of a whiskey bottle, that feeling of contentment and security and peace and serenity that I always wanted to find, I have found here. Not that I find it every day or not that it's rich and full every day, but we're well into the 90%. And I plan to go higher and higher with that. I'm not going to quit this program. Um, my my approach to, to recovery is that uh, I have done as much footwork as I can in the basics of dealing with all the issues. But I no longer work the steps. I live them. It is as much a part of my life today to do AA work as it is to brush my teeth and comb my hair and take a shower and occasionally make the bed. Uh, this is where I'm at with my program. I love it. Uh, this is like the joy of my life because it is the life that I've always wanted. There's a line in the Music Man that says, you can talk, you can talk, you can bicker, 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 but you got to know the territory. And to me, that's what working the steps were. Uh, somebody mentioned how miserable they were the first three and a half years of their three years of their recovery. Uh, I cried more in those three years literally bawled, begging for somebody to comfort me because I was so lost and so unhappy and so ashamed and so mortified of who I was. And through God's grace and the fellowship of this program and a loving woman, I am today where I am, enjoying life to its fullest, uh, capable of doing anything I choose now. There isn't anything I can't do because I'm free of the effects of alcohol. I consider myself in remission. I know if I pick up a drink, I'll get sick real quick. But as long as I continue to do the steps on a daily basis, do my meditations, share, do what's asked of me as far as helping others, I will stay sober. This is a powerful, powerful program. Thank you. Anybody else want to share? Don't go home and miss the opportunity. My name is Milton. I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, and I couldn't get to all the promises meetings today because I went to the battleship thing. But there was one of them that says, fear of economic insecurity will leave us. And... You know, I was born into a wealthy family. My father did very well. He was a family practice doctor who owned his own hospital in Tarboro, North Carolina. And uh so I, I made AOA in medical school, and I finished my surgical residence and board certified and all that. And I always thought that I would be wealthy. Uh One of the first things that happened was that my second wife went to law school. <laughs> that, you know. 
that 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 wasn't a real good thing from my side of the thing. And uh so I, I was doing pretty good. I, you know, had bought real estate and was making good investments and all and uh you know, I figured that I would be wealthy and everything would be fine. And in nineteen ninety one I got a DWI and among the things I had to do was go to an alcoholism counselor and uh the, the, the little fella said I was an alcoholic, and I didn't believe him. I said, that's not possible, because I drive a Jaguar. My wife has a Mercedes. I live in a designer house with decks on three levels. I got a full-time maid. All five of my children are in private school. I said, my electric bill is more than your salary. How could you, how could you say something like that? I mean, you, so I, I went and found a, another, alcoholism counselor who said if I didn't drink for 30 days, I was not an alcoholic. And I really did not want to be an alcoholic. I didn't know what an alcoholic was, but I knew I didn't want to be one. So I went on with my life, and five years later, I was so grateful to be admitted to Fellowship Hall because uh, I only wanted to stay 28 days. I didn't have to stay no, no four months, you know. We just did that again. But, uh, uh, I, I was grateful because I had to come in for some shelter from somewhere. You know, it was, it was like this, this, this old boy was up the tree with a bobcat and his friend was down on the ground. He said, I can't see up here good enough to know when to shoot. He said, just shoot up here. One of us needs some relief, you know, <laughs> but, but I, I, I just needed to come in out of there because by that time, the former wife was screwing a white man. You know, that's just not the right thing that a black woman should do, you know, married to a doctor, you know. I mean, it was just the most terrible thing you could imagine. And and my, I still had a Jaguar, but it wasn't in good repair. Uh, I couldn't afford to get it repaired. I was living in a small apartment. That That house was, you know, auctioned. Well, she sold it just before it was going to be auctioned. Uh, the children were in public school. The maid was fired. You know, all of that shit was gone. And, and, you know, I had been raised to believe that that was my right was to be wealthy. And I had worked for it. I had been president of the medical staff of the largest hospital in Raleigh. And that was a big thing for a little Negro. You know what I mean? And I, I really thought that I was, you know, I thought I was the it, it. And, and then there I was in the rehab with all my shit gone. And so, well, I had had four malpractice settlements in my last five years of drinking. And the malpractice insurance went up a little bit, but, you know, it was enough I could work a little harder. And, you know, I was out of the rehab and, you know, I was sober and I was crying a lot, but it never happened in in the wrong setting. I mean, I would cry at home alone and it was all right, you know. So I, uh, that day I was, uh, figuring that it was still going to work out all right financially, you know. Uh, I got behind on the child support and the judge just let it go. You know, she said, just try to pay from now on. And and I said, okay. And I changed lawyers and got a better deal with the child support. And 
Of course, all the children are geniuses still. The youngest one's going to Dartmouth in the fall. The next one goes to Vanderbilt. The next one goes to Smith. The next one's waiting to get into Dartmouth to the MBA school. And the last one going to Harvard this fall. So, you know, some things are going well. But last year I had to pay $83,000 in malpractice insurance because of them four lawsuits. You know, uh, I haven't been sued since I got sober. My sobriety date is November the 26th of 1996. But the insurance keeps going up. This year it would have been $179,000. So I couldn't pay that. So I went and did locums tenants work. I had a great job at West Point in New York. Had high pay for little work and it was surgery. And I was, you know, pleased and I figured, well, when this job ends, I just walk into the next one. Well, I don't have a job. Uh, my last paycheck is coming August the 20th. I don't know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? I, uh, the child support's over, but these children are in college and I need to be helpful. Uh, I need to pay the mortgage on my 1100 square foot townhouse. It's a little smaller than that big ass house I had, but I like it, you know, I, but I need to pay the mortgage. You know what I mean? I need to pay the note on my Ford, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm comfortable with with my Ford. I, I need all these things, uh, and, and and you know they say you might not get everything you want, but you will get everything you need. Well, I need to pay the mortgage, the college, the Ford. You see, and so you know, last week I was only willing to take a locum's tenants job at high pay. Now I would be happy to get a civil service job at low pay, and next week I'd be lucky to get any job, you know, <laughs> grateful for. So my expectations are going down, but my fear of economic insecurity is, is not a biggie because everything that's ever happened to me since I got sober, I got over it. If it don't kill you, it'll make you stronger, they tell me. So, you know, uh or or, or fatter, I don't know what to say. But, you know, I'm all right, you know, I had never been to an IDAA before because I was always too busy. Well, I'm not too busy anymore. I don't know about you all, but I'm sure glad we waited. Yeah, you could probably get a job around here and stand up comedian, one of these things across the street. I tried, but I got drunk in a nightclub, grabbed a microphone, they told me to sit down and shut up. They told me that the first two years I was in AA. Pick me up, take me to meetings, they say, Terry, you have anything to say? I'd say yes, they'd stand up and close the meeting, so don't take it to heart. <laughs> we got five minutes, anybody need to say anything? Yeah, I just need to tell you it's been an absolutely wonderful day. Thank you, Randy. It's probably the last time he'll get on a bus to go to her pottery places or sit down next to strangers, but I, I'm really glad you came. Appreciate it. We're going to have a wonderful speaker this evening. Y'all go get some rest and relaxation. We got dinner. We have a, a, a wonderful evening planned. There'll be uh, two more sessions tomorrow, and I need to tell you that as, as schedules do, they change. Tomorrow morning in this room is early bird. Not upstairs. Tomorrow morning in this room. Y'all have a good evening. Thanks for coming.